0: Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both businesses and investing. My name is Kevin Van Tromp, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities, but at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls and unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. Hi, this is Kevin Van Trump with uh, another episode of our Highly Volatile Podcast with my good friend Andy Daniels. We're here today. It's 420, kind of the national, uh, I guess, weed marijuana holiday. And we're going to have Andy's got a special guest coming on that we're going to be talking to a little bit later about what we see uh, happening just overall in the uh, marijuana industry and and how it may play out with some of the municipalities and some of the government's uh, Really getting into some a uh, little bit of deep water, so to speak, with trying to you know deal with Corona and, and some of the things. Andy, give us you know kind of tell listeners what we're thinking on our end, and, and know what you've been talking about on where we're seeing some things head with maybe you know, the gambling. Uh, what's going to happen maybe with some of the gambling and some of the marijuana things uh,
1: in some of the cities and municipalities? Well, right. I mean, you look around and all the cities and municipalities and states are, are just getting crushed from a revenue standpoint and uh at the same time they're being forced to to add on so many uh unforeseen and unexpected services that that the uh, coffers are getting depleted and unlike the federal government they don't have a printing press that they can go turn on at at, at random so you know they're going to be scrambling i have to believe uh harder every day and uh find new creative ways to raise um revenues at, at times when uh they have nothing but you know the the uh out valve opened and nothing coming in so to that ends you know we've uh-huh. started to see a lot of states that have been under the crunch from a uh, financial perspective opening up marijuana and and expanding gambling activities illinois probably being the most obvious where uh you know they've you know they're 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 living off of these new revenues and uh, um, they've expanded I think five or six new gambling licenses so you know they're hitting everything they can to raise as much money as they can and I just have to believe we're going to see that spill over uh, to many other states um, because you know these problems aren't uh, endemic just to Illinois or just to the Midwest they're they're pretty much prevalent everywhere and it's all exploded in a mushroom cloud. Uh, based on what we're seeing in the crude oil, or excuse me, the uh, crude oil market. That was another conversation we're going to have. But um, because of the uh, COVID uh, uh, virus, so I don't know. It's going to be yeah. crazy. I mean, these are things we've never seen before.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to hear what Brian has to say uh, coming up. I, I've got a couple of uh I guess mar- downstream kind of marijuana stocks uh, in my portfolio. And, uh, the one you talked and told me about, Cresco, just for full disclosure, Cresco Labs and uh, True Leaf. And I, I, hell, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about it to uh, to be dangerous. Just kind of hearing and doing research from what people have passed along to to us on our end. But yeah, it certainly seems like uh, there's going to be that to come about. I, I grabbed, I did buy a little MGM stock on the big break. Two or three weeks ago, when we got down, I don't know, we were sub seven bucks at one point in it. I think it's back to about $13 or something, but seemed to be pretty heavy insider buying an MGM uh, stock. And I looked at Wynn and a couple others, but I'm with you. I I suspect they're going to do more legalized gambling in places. I don't know if that impacts, I'm not really sure. I don't know if that impacts Vegas MGM stocks adversely, or I don't know if it's a benefit. What do you think?
1: Yeah, know. not necessarily. I mean, you know, there are a couple that, one of the new ones that's going in over in uh, Western uh, Illinois towards Rockford is uh, going to be a hard rock, and I think that you know the the major casino chains are going to be opening, um, you know, casinos when these licenses become available. It may have an impact on the travel to Vegas, but I don't think it'll necessarily slow down the gambling world. Help people in in tough economic times. Uh, history shows that they tend to uh, take on more risk, take on more gambling kind of an attitude. And frankly, the the the, the, the kind of the level of economic activity in some of these more rural areas um, is going to affect the downtrodden people that can't afford to lose money because they're going to be taking more risk, like you know gambling and uh and and so you know I don't think it does much to help the overall health of the economy because you're really taking from uh, those that can't afford to lose.
0: Yeah, I saw uh, DraftKings. I think they're going to roll out and do their IPOs still and they're big and they said, you know, the sports books are obviously getting hammered cuz there's no there's no, no sporting events and I think they said their biggest um, they're making a lot of bets on Shark Tank the show Shark Tank, people are betting, I guess. That, you know, they say, here's who's going to be on. Do you think they'll get a deal or not? And Who will the deal be with? And then uh, uh, Real Housewives of New York City or something like that. They, those were their biggest two uh, betting platforms in the last few weeks. So, I don't know. People must be sitting at home, like you said, being bored. Can uh, you imagine and, and, how and bored you have ladies. to
1: be to make a bet on uh, the Housewives of oh, uh, Beverly shit. Hills?
0: <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine. I, and you accuse me sometimes, Andy. And I'll talk during the day, and we'll talk during time. He's like, "You're just bored. You're just trading because you're bored." And I, I, you know, maybe right. We were just talking to switch gears a little bit, and we'll get Brian on uh, here in a minute. But we were just talking. Uh, damn, Andy, look what's happening in crude oil. I mean, holy smokes, what are we? Where are we trading at right now? Buck something?
1: A dollar eighty four. Um, the front end of crude. Yeah.
0: Holy
1: it's, shit! It's the craziest yeah. thing I've ever seen. It's down sixteen dollars and forty three cents. And, and frankly, it's we haven't seen crude at a dollar eighty four in any of our lifetimes. I don't even know if we've seen it in this century. Perhaps earlier in the century, perhaps yes. But you know, I no. mean, at the same time, your, your, your June is only down three dollars. So June's trading at twenty two dollars, and uh, essentially May, which is in delivery right now, is trading at a buck eighty four, a buck eighty five because there's no place to store it and it's not like a faucet you can just turn off whenever you want these these uh wells have to keep pumping until you know it, it's not just something you can do overnight and there isn't storage capacity apparently anywhere on on the planet that has any access room right now so you know with uh, all the airlines shut down and car traffic and truck traffic at a trickle um you know we're, we're just backing up supplies everywhere you can imagine and I can't even come close yeah. to understanding how with that, all that going on, the, the the stock market acts like it's nothing. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you look at uh, corn, yeah, okay, fine. We understand corn's down because of ethanol demand and, and the like. But how can this not be having a, a larger impact on the overall economy is beyond my wildest understanding. Do you got an idea, yeah. Kevin? I mean... No, I, I'm telling
0: totally, you. I mean, I think it's nuts. I, I know. I remember a well a buddy of mine from the CME called about three weeks ago. I don't know what it was, maybe three, four weeks, two, three weeks ago, and said they were having to recalibrate um, some of their pricing instruments because they were gonna they had to adjust. So you know, if crude went negative, and I'm like, "What are you talking? about? How's this shit even possible?" What? And that's seriously. I so I wouldn't be surprised. At the front of the crude. I mean, they recalibrated the system so it can trade to negative right i don't even know i mean it's, it's just nuts like you said there i guess there's just absolutely nowhere to go with the crude i uh i i don't know it's the fallout's going to be just enormous like i said i think you're eventually going to have some bank pressure and and some problems as you see some of this uh spillover that's taking place and hell Andy, like we said we got a lot of friends uh that have money tied directly to energy and uh, you know man i mean some guys that we thought were flush as flush could be that, uh, now there's some questions and now that's spilling over into ethanol and spilling over into other, other sectors in our ag community is just scary. Like, like you said, hell, it's surprising. They just don't have corn hammered right here. Uh, I mean, yes, we have been hammered to some degree, but you know, hell, we're down seven cents, uh, in the front end. I'm long corn getting my ass kicked. Uh, good thing I have a small position on, uh, like I said, I'm, I guess between here and 280, I uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm gonna buy about every dime break. I I don't know. I mean, what do you think? How, how low can the pressure this corn market, Andy, with this fallout in crude? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, if we, if, I mean, you know, is it going to be Groundhog Day? We're going to get to uh, uh, late May, and we're going to see June crude down here, and and and. Um, you know, is this just going to kind of roll yeah. forward until it doesn't? And how how does it not stop rolling forward until we either shut some of these wells down? I mean, no, maybe we're getting 10 million bush a uh, barrel a day reduction from uh, from OPEC uh, um, involvement. You know, yeah. when, when uh, between Russia and, and and Saudi Arabia, but our demand's down 30 million barrels a day. 30 million, I read this morning. So, you know, we're, we're you you can't keep putting this. Other 20 million barrels a day in, in, in storage that doesn't exist. I don't have a clue. I mean, we've never dealt with anything like this before. There isn't a model out there that, that you can look at that, that has any history here because there is no history here. No. No, look, look,
0: look at what it's doing to ethanol. I mean, they're saying here you know, you're going to have 50% of the, of the ethanol production uh, out of capacity. I mean, run rates down 50% after this week, probably. Holy smokes. I mean, definitely creates a demand issue. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I know we got a lot of farmers that we talk to, and we, like Willis sent us that text this weekend. Boy, he's getting super excited to go out and plant $3, sub-$3 $3 corn. I mean, nobody's excited at all. I, I, no. I don't know whether it's right like at the end of that tunnel right now. We talk of 90 93, 90, whatever you want to say on acres. You know, the USDA is at 97 million. Okay. So they're high. So you're 92, 93, 94. I mean, hell, that's still a ton of acres. I mean, that's more than we planned the last three or four years. And you know, one of the highest numbers we've had in history.
1: Oh, when we had <laughs> Tom phone? on the phone a couple of weeks ago, Tom yeah. Willis on the phone a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, anywhere from three to 500 million corn that could be added to the balance sheet, uh, Based on yeah. you know the the, the crude issue, um, yeah. What if five hundred is the low end of that spectrum now, and and, and it's closer to seven or eight hundred million? You know, it depends yeah. on how long all this drags out. Because nope. I got to tell you, the more I look around, the more I, you can sit here and say all day long, we're going to open up the economy. Well, touche, congratulations. But until people are willing to participate in that new economy, it isn't going to open up. You can say, oh, we're open for business, but if no one shows up, what are you doing? I mean, this is not going to be over quick. And until you can jab a needle in someone's arm and say, you're, vac- you're vaccinated, I don't know how we're going to get back to full force. <clears throat> and until we can test people, you know, on the fly, uh, this isn't going to go away. It just isn't. And it's going to last a hell of a lot longer than I had originally thought I just don't know what's going to be the catalyst that turns people's minds because 90% of the people out there today, if you ask them, are you more concerned about health or the economy, they're going to tell you the health. The economy comes second. Well, the economy comes second, but at some point economics and health converge. <laughs> and they converge in a big way at some point. But um, yeah, I don't know. i got more questions than answers. There's no way. I can see how do yeah, like we like
0: I Yeah, uh, like they were saying how they were going to reopen those restaurants in California New York. I'm like, that's nuts. I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. I mean, get rid of half your – well, hell, you own some restaurants, Andy. You know, I mean, you're going to get rid of half your seating. You're going to have to have someone at the front door taking people's temperatures, record it, record all your staff's temperatures, your cooks, your waiters, before every shift, submit it to the health department, no, They said they were talking no more than four people at any one table, uh, waiters and waitresses wearing masks, disposable menu. Well, who in the shit's going to go, you know, out to a restaurant? The temperature isn't
1: good, isn't you, Just because you don't have a temperature doesn't mean you're, you're, you're not a carrier. <laughs> I'm with you.
0: That's what I'm saying, but you have restaurant owners that are like, there's no way we're going to be able to logistically pull this off. And who's going to want to come into the restaurant and – you want know, to sit there and enjoy your dinner with all the people masked up? And I don't know. I, I'm with you. I mean, you can say it's reopened, but until everyone's willing to participate, and it doesn't, you know, you have some crazies out there now that are definitely willing to go full born and participate, but a lot of the smart people, uh, and what seems to be smart people, and, and people with bigger money, I mean, that have more to lose, seem to be playing a little more safe, it feels like. Don't you agree? I
1: mean. I do.
0: Certainly. I do. I'm not and seeing a lot of our friends out and about running around doing much traveling or anything, so. Well,
1: no. And, yeah. No, I'm with you.
0: I, it's going to change. Like we said, the, the business travel is going to just get decimated. I mean, you're, you're going to shut that no, down. Totally. We like, are crushed. Yeah. Yeah, and how that ties into hotels and the hotels to restaurants and everything's linked and interlinked and to your Ubers, to your drivers. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean. Pretty crazy. I, I, I don't know, Labor markets, I, I, you know, a lot of these people got the PPP money, so a lot of people will be hiring back their staff because there's a headcount uh, tied to that PPP, and you got to have the same headcount you had from February of 2019 to June. You know, there, there's an equation, but regardless, you got to have the same type of headcount. That's why you're seeing a lot of restaurant owners and people not take the PPP because the clock starts ticking Uh, The day you take the money, let's say you got the money today, you got eight weeks to use it, and you have to have a headcount on your uh, payroll that's similar to where you were a year ago. Well, hell, there's no way in hell these restaurants are going to reopen and have that type of headcount or some of these other people. So we're hearing that the labor, you know, you may see unemployment claims the next month to two months not look as bad as people bring back on employees to try and avoid paying back the PPP. That past August, when they relay' them back off, you know, because they're struggling or can't uh, add it i I don't know i mean, I just think this may play out of like you're saying Andy. it may take a little longer than certainly feels like it's going to take longer to me than what people
1: are uh, forecasting here that has the stock market up to sun. so. yeah and and you know, just keep in mind, we're also the strongest economy we're the we're the most advanced civilization on planet earth, and uh, if we're having these problems, think about the rest of the world. Right? It, it, it's magnified, just infinitely well,
0: more dramatic. Just like you said, and I think that's where people don't, right? I mean, like Apple, I think 60% of their revenue is uh, from outside the United States. And I think many of your, I, th- I think I read somewhere, uh, almost 55 to 60% of your revenue from the S&P 500 is from outside the United States because we've become such a global economy, so right you know, I I keep listening to the corona uh, anywhere is corona everywhere And, I, you know unfortunately that's true and shit here here we are so just like you're saying I, I, how it affects and impacts some of these other nations is it, it it's going to be uh definitely scary so
1: you know I well, Kevin you've been you've, I don't know what we uh, we well, you were telling me some some thoughts uh, about different companies you've been talking to and how they're looking to downsize you mentioned something about facebook and a couple uh large uh um corporate type companies what, what are you hearing on that front that kind of drags this thing out into infinitum
0: yeah like i said you know facebook had come out and they said they were canceling all of their events that had any anything to do with 50 or more people out to june of next year june 21 then i was on the call with cool. adm and uh you know when we were talking to adm and I was talking to Cole and they said, you know, there's a lot of talk in-house and, and calls that come down, you know, when they, like, reopen their, uh, say, their trading floor at Decatur and everything. They're going to go to, you know, X number of people per X number of square foot, and it's going to drastically reduce, uh, you know, their office spacing and their 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 office. I know they're discussing, heavily discussing their offices in Chicago and how they'll bring those people back. You know, are they going to go to a more, we talked about it, like an in-house WeWorks type of thing where they set up, just smaller remote offices to allow people to come in and work if they're having problems at home or kids are at home going nuts and you need a, a desk and maybe you can come in and utilize some space. And now I don't know we, you and I both talk. We certainly wouldn't want to be holding the deck on a lot of uh, commercial office space, larger commercial office space moving into this. So, you know, I don't know. I, I will say this, and I got a call with a couple of uh, large real estate companies earlier today and they're saying, oh, nothing, nothing's impacting us. Shit, it's crazy. We're, we're we're having people wanting to buy houses still, some, and and we're putting offers, and my customers are putting offers, and there's six or seven other offers. And I'm like, oh, bullshit. And they're like, I'm serious. But I start thinking about it. What, what market, though? And, and, you know, say, well, under a
1: million for sure. I mean, you're talking anywhere. No, but, but are right. I mean, you talking about in Kansas City? Are you talking about?
0: Well, I'm talking Kansas City. I've talked to some people out west and out. Okay. Here. So in Ohio, uh, I've talked to people out in California. But I started thinking about it, and I started looking at more numbers. Hey, there's a, everyone that had a house for sale, most of them pulled their shit off the market. They didn't want people coming yep. in their house. They didn't want – so there's no inventory right now. So I see what they're saying, but they're being falsely <laughs> – I think they're being falsely misled that there's going to be absolutely no problems because – there's just no inventory right here at this particular uh, part. And if you think about it, some people have just gotten their home offices set up maybe, or they're just hunkered down with their kid. I mean, you're not going to uproot the whole apple cart here. And then where do you have to go? And how do you find a new house and get one and go look at one? Yeah, it's just, eh, I'm not buying that line. I, I think just like you say, count to 10 Mississippi here. And let me know where we're at here in five or six months. I, I think you're going to see some pressure. We got uh, data yesterday. From a hedge fund, it always gives me data on Google search engines uh, data, and and they said this is they finally they were real early in in the jobs number seeing the unemployment thing start to tick higher. Now they're finally starting to see bankruptcy searches started to tick higher last week uh, for just you know just average everyday people, and we They said I don't know whether it was a fifteen twenty percent increase, and oh, I don't know. I, I suspect sure. we start to tick higher from there. You know, once some of this. I, I guess government money gets behind us a little bit. So. I, I don't know. Well,
1: I think but it, could, it, uh, it takes time to to get even yeah, get right. prepared to go to file bankruptcy. It takes right. time to file for divorce and all these other things. And, and, and I'm sure all these all these categories are going to be going up and up and up. And the only one can make uh, money on that is the lawyers. <laughs> you are right there, sir. So.
0: What well, you got? Any opinions on the, any of the ag markets? Or are you trading anything right now, Andy? Or...
1: No. I, I, how the hell can you trade a damn thing with the with the kind yeah. of volatility that we're going through right now? I, I want to own beans, but I can't do it uh, just because because you know the, a rolling stone gathers no moss and. You know, you look at corn, and you know I, I know you've been I, hell. If I if we weren't going through what we're going through now in, in terms of this crude oil market today, I'd probably be a buyer of corn. I don't disagree with you long term that you know it doesn't belong below, below three bucks and can't stay there. <clears throat> so I mean, if we have enough oil in industry to uh, to continue to um, take forty five percent of our production, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> and then you look at, at wheat. I mean, my God. Talk about you know the tale of two worlds. Um, so no, I, I I just can't see from a speculative position uh, having an appetite to do much of anything. Um, no, I can't do it. Yeah, I mean the only <laughs> Sorry, thing we've I done, just
0: done is can't do it. Uh, tell me your thought on this. The only thing we've done, I, I have lifted some hedges on the way down in uh, in both, and I still have some on. I probably need to roll out more so we can make new lows. I did go out and sell some July twenty-one uh, wheat, twenty-one. That is, I, I mean, you mm-hmm. got July twenty-one wheat up here north of five fifty. I mean, we were trading five sixty last week, five sixty-five. And I'm, I mean, if there's one crop that guys could maybe plant and have a little bit of profitability in it, it's going to be. I got to believe wheat acres go up next year if they're going to if they're going to hold corn down like this or beans. And I, like I said, I mean, pricing wheat at five fifty in, in July twenty-one. I, I – at least for your first few sales, get them on the board. I mean, that makes sense to me, don't you think?
1: I do, I do. And, you you know, if if these price relationships are here then, uh, yeah, you'll see a a big surge in in, in wheat prices. The question is, you know, what correction will occur between now and then. You know, and and maybe, you know, kind of a chicken way to play this is to, you know, you can can sell some of the the out-of-the-money corn puts because uh, there is a limit to... How low you can go. I mean, I haven't looked at any uh, values, <laughs> are sure? values. Are we sure? Though? Are we are sure? Crushed, <laughs> but, no, we're not sure. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, I just feel That's like telling. a deer in the headlights. Hell, i will be the first one to admit, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. I no turn movie. around, I sell uh, S&Ps every chance I get, and uh, <laughs> believe me, they give you plenty of chances. Um Yeah. And it's not performing the way I would have certainly anticipated it would. I mean, ever, is this a V bottom or is it a W bottom? I'd be more inclined to say a W that we coming yeah. up and now, you know, but, but we shouldn't really go beyond uh, the highs we made Friday if, if in fact, uh, this is a W uh, top for now. What? And we're going to head back to the again. Fear, uh,
0: yeah. My only fear on our short S&P because we're – you know, we're long some stocks in our stock portfolio. And we're trading those and holding this short hedge in the S and P side. I, I'm just not sure there's any new short money that's coming in, right? I mean, hell, all of us that have been short, we we've been short for a while here, knowing what we know. I mean, nothing new or uh, there's been nothing new or enlightening come about. So I, I don't know if you're going to bring any new short money right now. Like you said, maybe they rally this thing three thousand. Maybe they keep rallying even a little higher. I, I think though, as you and I've talked uh, over time. i just, I just, I have a hard time believing we're going to keep making new highs um, with, with this type of uh, economy and labor possible labor problem and consumer confidence problem coming down the pipe. So, yeah, I, I
1: I'm. A, are you still
0: holding your long gold positions, or did you get out and take? Them yeah. Out? Mm-hmm.
1: I. Yeah, uh, no, I'm still. I'm I have still my physical gold. Uh, you can't buy any more physical gold unless you want to pay a hundred plus dollars an ounce uh, premium. Because oh, yeah. the demand for, for physical physical gold is so high right now. And, you know, your gold theory, conspiracy theorists that uh, will tell you the dollar is going to go to zero and, you know, gold is going to go to 30000 an ounce. And so, you know, they're all there fishing behind the net. And that's not unusual in economic times when things get panicky. But, um, yeah, I'm still holding on gold. I think it's cheap in the scheme of things. Yeah, no, that makes sense, so but when it moves 50 oh, or 100 dollars in a day it's awful hard to uh feel confident in uh buying something and uh and having it randomly move 50 or 100 dollars for no reason whatsoever that is tied to anything huh. that is economically grounded it's just the flow of money yeah what do you do with rice I don't know I'm still in rice, still in rice but you know it's it's uh it's a very thin market here. We go, we're down to forty three hundred contracts in the May and forty five hundred in the July and uh you know we're starting to get a little new crop hedging taking place here because you know at twelve bucks and up uh it's profitable. Uh even though plantings are way behind in the in this delta where they like they were last year. Um you are getting a little bit of uh planting going on in northern Arkansas, southern Arkansas, Texas uh mississippi louisiana all got clobbered with recent rains so they're shut down for another four or five days and see how the next systems come through but it looks like there's a system almost every four or five days going forward so you know there's still questions about getting it planted but as far as old crop supplies close your eyes what do you see nothing there's nothing left and i don't think you're going to get any deliveries against the may and you know, it could do some crazy, crazy things. We've never seen May inverted over July like we are right now in the history of rice trading, and uh, I don't know if that's going to um, – I don't see that going away. I think the shorts and the old crop have, uh, are going to get an ass ache in here pretty quick.
0: Sure. I hear you, buddy. So. Well, you want to get Brian on, and we'll get Brian talk to him about what's happening in uh he sees happening in the marijuana space, and, and we'll uh, go from there.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, let's do that. All right, buddy. Okay, great. Um, Well, I wanted to uh, introduce our our, uh, our special guest today, Brian Schindler. Brian's the uh, Executive Vice President of Finance for a uh, major uh, uh, marijuana company called Grassroots Cannabis. Um, Grassroots uh, operates a a vertically integrated uh, cannabis business uh, that currently is operating in 12 states with over 900 employees. In fact, back uh last summer they they signed a deal to uh be bought and merged with uh Kira Leaf Holdings which when that transaction's done, hopefully sometime in the summer, uh June, July, depending on uh, how the corona <laughs> effect pushes everything back, um they, they it, the merger will result in uh, a combined company that will be the largest cannabis company in the entire world. Um vertically integrated in over 20 different states in the US and In addition to that, in his spare time, Brian uh, has been an active private investor across the cannabis space and also serves on on the advisory board for Altitude Investments, a cannabis uh, investment uh, fund based out of New York, and he also serves on the advisory board for AIM PLC, an investment company based out of London, focusing on the uh, European cannabis business. So. Brian, I knew you as a professional golfer back in your day. I guess most of our interactions have been on the golf course, but uh wanted to welcome you and uh, see what the rest of your world looks like. And super excited to have you on the call today because, uh, you know, the, the, we're, our audience really hasn't uh, has some misconceptions, I think, if you will, about the marijuana space and, and what it's all about. And uh, so, uh, Brian, thank you and welcome. Thank you very much for... For having
2: me on, particularly on 420, which is uh, a uh, a big day in the, uh, in, the, in the in the in the cannabis culture, if you will. Yeah, tell us about that. What is 420 all about, Ryan? So 4, 420 um, kind of took on a life of its own, but um, in the um, in the uh, California, or, or, or at least in the in the legend of uh, of, of of California cannabis. Know, dating back to I guess probably the late 60s early 70s, a group of high school students in San Rafael, California, uh, would get together at 4:20 p.m. and would you know smoke a joint or whatever, and uh, it just somehow uh, took on a life of its own, or, or the or the story spread, or people kind of kind of liked the sound of you know a 4:20, uh, or or it was even code for a 4:20, you know to to you know to that activity back in the in the counterculture days, it somehow has survived you know, through to today and, and, and become a bit of a, uh, a nationally recognized holiday, holiday, if you will, which is uh, kind of interesting. But, yeah, so, supposedly started with four four guys at San Rafael, San Rafael High School in the early 70s. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: amazing how uh, our culture, uh, how, how different uh, things start halloween and there are a lot of them that we could go on and on about kevin i know uh, one of the reasons we wanted to uh, get brian on the phone today was to to talk a little bit about some conceptions that are out there in the uh ag space which tends to be a good part of our listeners and and you had a few questions wow. in that regard so uh why don't you yeah. start out kevin
0: <laughs> yeah brian i'm you know uh when i go out and travel around there's a lot of talk uh some folks pivoted to hemp and there's some apprehension about marijuana uh on that side, just because of the negative connotations uh, uh, that go along with it, thinking, you know, some farmers don't want to just grow things just for stoners or just, you know, to, to, you know, they either feel like they're part of the solution uh, or they're part of the problem. And, and a lot of them, I've heard them say that many times. And I thought it was interesting when we were just talking uh, or when I uh, first met you would When you said what attracted you to the space originally was from the medicinal side of the growth potential with the plant. Can you kind of go into that just so some of our listeners who are maybe thinking about it or or maybe thinking of pivoting some acres, uh, you know, maybe they understand it a little bit better. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I'd love to, love to. So, so, you know, I I, uh, I, I was an institutional investor for years, worked for uh, hedge funds, private equity funds, and, um, you know, left in uh, 2017 was looking for some, you know, for something interesting to do. Um, and, um, uh, I had a couple of friends who were kind of nosing around doing some research on the medicinal side on cannabis. And, uh, the more I read and the more, uh, you know, really the more interesting it got. And, and so really my thesis on coming, uh, and, and on, on it, it really looking at getting more active on the cannabis side, um, was really tied to the disruption that I saw created by this this plant. And you know, what most people don't focus on or maybe don't realize um, is that there are roughly 110 identified derivatives of the cannabis plant, and only one of those um, is psychotropic and therefore gets you high. That's THC. Um, the other derivatives of the plant... Um, have various impacts on your endocannabinoid system, which is the pain management system within your body, but have really never gone through any rigorous research or analysis because, you know, federal government banned all research uh, tied to anything related to cannabis uh, in 1971. And even prior to that, um, there were some um, restrictions back in those days as well. So, you know, we lost, you know, a solid 50 years and so, you know, if you really take a look at what's going on out there, you know, you've had a uh, derivative of the, of the plant uh, can, um, uh, CBD, which in its purest form uh, was patented by a firm called GW Pharma, which trades on the exchange um, under the, under the um, brand name Cannabidiol, which has been fully approved by the FDA and has shown uh, immense uh, promise and, and uh, effectiveness in uh, in uh, treating childhood epilepsy and um, um, which was really a game changer. Um, you've got uh, other derivatives like um, CBN, which has been shown to have impacts on uh, on managing sleep and helping people that are having trouble sleeping. you know you can imagine how big the the ambient and sleep management uh, world is, and also you know, a lot of people would prefer to take a natural substance rather than a chemical substance. Um, so t- tremendous disruption that, that that could occur there. You're seeing THCV again, non-psychotropic derivative of the plant, which has been shown to uh, be very useful for diet and um, appetite suppressant. And you can imagine how big the diet industry is. Uh, you've got you know various applications potentially for either nutraceutical. Uh, even beauty, um, and uh, also you know anxiety and pain management. So really, uh, it, it's you know I, I, my, the the excitement for me in taking a look at this industry and this you know this this business was not that you know Susie soccer mom is going to come home and have a puff off of her vape pen instead of a glass of wine. Although I think ultimately that that may occur. Because there, there are no calories in the puffs off the vape pen than and there are in the wine, but really because of the disruption that I think we will probably see, likely see, in, uh, in these various industries as we find out more and more on the research side. Now, the other, the other part of this, and this is I think pretty, uh, pretty well established at this point, is that you know there was a, a, a misconception out there that in some way, shape, or form, cannabis was a gateway drug to opioids and um, you know was, was uh, potentially a problem for some of those reasons. And in fact, after a lot of studies and a lot of research, they found that it is in fact a gateway. It's a gateway off of opioids and has been extremely helpful because it's not addictive in the ways that opioids are addictive. Um, and it's a you know, natural substance. You can't No one in the history of medicine or mankind has died of a um, cannabis-related overdose. True story. Uh, However, you can obviously die from fentanyl and uh, a whole bunch of other bad stuff that's out there in the opioid universe. So, you know, for just a a lot of reasons um, that uh, I thought would be very, you know, that, that, that for me created... a a situation where, you know, people were still figuring it out. A lot of folks in the investment community couldn't touch it because of uh, the fact that their funds wouldn't allow it. It's federally illegal. Uh, The big banks can't touch it. Goldman Sachs can't touch it. You know, um, the only real people playing in the game were family offices and private pockets of capital. And, you know, I got very geeked up on the science side and the disruption side and thought um, you know that this would probably you know this is probably one of the more interesting themes that I've seen in quite a while. Perfect, perfect.
0: Hey Brian, tell what Andy, I'll you, just one more thing on the uh, really on the farm side. You know we've seen a lot of our producers, not a lot, but we've seen a fair amount get really interested in pivot a little bit uh, and pivots makers in, into hemp and not either making a plan the industrial side of the hemp or the CBD side now. No man, they got smoked this last year too. a lot of guys just because there was nowhere to deliver
2: what you know how do you see that point out
0: uh, in your show? yeah
2: look we 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 had um we we overall you know, long, longer term were bullish on uh hemp derived c b d um the problem is it it got it it became very overhyped um in a very you know relatively short period of time. You know, I, you know, I, I probably never heard of CBD three years ago, and you know, I uh, um, it's something that I use every day. Again, it's not it's non psychotropic. Um, it's good for uh, it's good for um, pain, bad back, all that stuff. It's also good for ex- anxiety, um, and um, but the FDA has really dragged its feet as to how to classify CBD, and um, therefore a lot of people got very hyped up on the demand side that the, the demand was going to be off the charts. The, um, the FDA did not provide really any clarity, and therefore, you know, some of the bigger um, retail outlets, the Kroger's of the world, the targets of the world, were only willing to, to carry CBD in a topical format, meaning like a like a muscle rub, but they weren't willing to carry it as a tincture, uh, which is uh, the form factor that most people would prefer. And also, a lot of people got in to the market selling some pretty shit product, um, you know, because they saw sort of a quick buck opportunity. So the the, um, uh, demand didn't materialize the way people thought it would. Uh, Meanwhile, um, I think some farmers were probably led to believe that, you know, that that it was really uh, an opportune time to convert to hemp. And they, you know, converted enough acres to matter, and then were left in the lurch because there really weren't enough uh, processors who would take the product to uh, be, because the demand for the oil, which is really, you know, what you what you're deriving from the hemp, um, wasn't there. So it's it really pretty pretty bad story. Uh, of a, you know, and a couple couple of fairly large bankruptcies. Gen Gencano, which was a uh, very um, you, know, kind of, you know, kind of a hot, um, you know, hot, hot investment company. You know, hot, hot investment thesis. They bought up a lot of acreage in Kentucky, uh, converted it to hemp. They had a, a monster processing facility down there. You know, they're not bankrupt. And um, so, you know, you've seen a lot of uh, bad stories now. So I think you're going to see, at least in the short term, people rotate out until they get a lot more clarity on. Uh, how the feds are going to come down, whether it's a food additive, whether it's a drug, you know, the FDA is is still, you know, still studying it, so to speak. And, you know, with COVID and everything else going on, I expect that, you know, the delays will continue on on, uh, on getting clarity from them. Perfect. Thank you.
1: There seems to be a huge disparity (laughs) between state and federal law. And uh, we we were kind of doing battle. It seems I watched a uh, a History Channel special last night, and there was this woman on there talking about you know trucking plants from California to Colorado, and if she got pulled over, she could spend 20 years in federal penitentiary, and you know having to carry you know copious quantities of cash around because uh, you know the the cash having to take cash and, and no credit cards, so their banking issues. Um, at the FTC, there's FCC issues. There are all sorts of different things that really seem to be kind of blocking this whole transition and, and integration into society um, from the federal perspective. And, and how do you see that playing out?
2: Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. the the um, the the, the um, COVID situation I think is actually going to be a help um, to. Hmm. Uh, moving some things along with respect to both some individual states and also um, with respect to um, with respect to some things on the federal government level. Um, people within the industry we don't we've never advocated for full legalization we don't we don't want what Canada did. We don't want a full legalization at the at the federal level. What we advocate for is really states' rights. You know, if the state of Indiana doesn't want uh, to approve cannabis, they can opt out. It, it, it would be very similar to um, to what's happening or what or what did happen with uh, sports gambling. Um, you know New, New Jersey and Illinois wanted it. great. you know under a state's rights convention, it can do it. Um, certain states don't fine. They don't have to do it. It's really uh, within the state's purview, the federal government just provides guardrails that if you are going to do it, then um, it has to uh, purport to certain guidelines, et cetera. Um, one of the things that we find, you know, that we that has come to the to the fore with respect to, to COVID is that you know we operate in 12 states. In each of our 12 states, we've been deemed essential, and so not only have we been deemed essential and been allowed to stay open, but the state has worked with us very actively to uh, create um, modifications to some of the existing regulations to help us uh, keep our people safe and to keep our patients safe. So as a good example, uh, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio have now provided for curbside pickup. So if you come to one of our dispensaries, if you're a medical patient, um, you don't have to come inside. You're, you're probably someone who might maybe, you know, challenged because you're a cancer uh, survivor or you have MS or you have Crohn's syndrome or some other, uh, you know, some other um, um, situation. Which you know, which which brought you closer to cannabis, and so you know, you ordered advance on on, on our app or on on, on, um, on on your computer, we bring it out to the curb curb for you. Um, some of those things, uh, I, I think, and, the, and and the fact that the states that have, have really risen to the uh, to the challenge and, and 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 come to the table and worked with us on these things is very encouraging, and I think you'll continue to see, particularly. Amongst some of the states that are going to have budget issues coming out of this, I think you're going to continue to see uh, reasons for people to, or for the states to want to advocate for both medical and adult use. Uh, The medical side of it is more or less decided. I I compare medical cannabis to gay marriage. At some point, we debated it for five years, and then we woke up and nobody gave a shit anymore. Everybody was sort of like, yeah, of course course people can get married if they're gay. What do I care? Um, it's, it more or less went that way for medical cannabis as well. Um, approval ratings for medical cannabis went from roughly 70% to 95%. And the, and the, the, um, analogy I would give you is if someone's dying of cancer and they're taking chemotherapy and they don't want to take an opioid and, um, they want to, they want to try medical cannabis instead, are, are you going to deny them of that? I mean, seriously? I mean, so we we have medical cannabis programs now in 35 of the uh, of the 50 states and uh, four of the territories, I guess, or whatever, if you include Washington, D.C., the territory. I don't know how what oh. what you call that. But anyway, um, so the, the medical argument is, um, is 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 relatively well set. And, and I think you'll just continue to see the, uh, the board fill in. Missouri just approved their their program and is enacting their program. Wisconsin's talking about a program. There's still a few outliers. Um, Indiana may be very, you know, who knows when they would adopt it. They're, you know, they're they're uh, more, of, more of a deep red state. But but um, uh, but for the most part, you will continue to see medical uh, role with respect to uh, adult use. That's more complicated. I, I, I think for all of us, as we think about you know, how we handle adult use. Um, and, um, right now you've got adult use programs approved in 10 States. Um, you've got States like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, that are actively debating it. I would bet a fair amount of money that within one year from the end of COVID they'll all have, um, approved adult use programs because, uh, of the um, tax revenues that they're generating in other States. Um, and, um, and, it, it, you know, and, and, and the fact that, um, you know, certain you know, states that have implemented it, and I'm not talking about Colorado, per se, or Oregon, where it was really a, a mess the way that they put it into place, but I mean, you know, heavily regulated, tightly controlled adult use programs with limited licenses, uh, as they have done in uh, states like Massachusetts, and they're uh, now rolling out in Illinois and, and uh, Michigan I think you're going to see those types of programs become more of the model for what people do going forward. Um, I think you mentioned, you know, sort of the social justice piece of it, people in jail and uh, all that mess. You know, you are seeing people's, um, um, people's uh, records being expunged for minor cannabis crimes. You have to remember, you know, in the fight on drugs and, uh, and um, you know, the, the big push in the uh, – in the Reagan era would survive that, you know, they had like a two strikes and you're out kind of, kind of deal where if you got caught twice on minor, on minor cannabis offenses, you could be put in jail for five, five, five years, seven years, whatever. So, you know, there's still people serving time in States where um, they now have legal um, medical programs or in, in certain cases, legal medical and adult use programs Now. State of Illinois expunged a number of people's records uh, state of New York's already done that, uh, even though they haven't passed adult use you know, it's I mean, people are, are very on to this that there's a social justice issue involved and if you really look at the demographics of, of you know what of who ended up being the victim of those types of of uh, of activities you know where people were being thrown in on minor charges, it was uh, you know far and away the black community and the Hispanic community, um, so there was a. Uh, there, there, there are other reasons to want to rectify these these mistakes, if you will. Fascinating.
1: Now, in terms of uh, budget or uh, banking, you can you, you can't use credit cards to buy things. You can only use yeah. cash, and and there's there are certain banks. They have to be state chartered banks or something in order to. Make deposits, uh, so that that's kind of a little bit of a uh, disconnect between the federal and the state level as well. How, how do you see that resolving itself?
2: Yeah, look, this is this is uh, this is one of the things that drives us berserk, right? Because um, you know, we 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 are you know we are legal within all the confines of. You know the state of Illinois, the state of Massachusetts, the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Ohio, and we have to comply with regulators in each of those individual states. However, because the federal government still deems uh, cannabis to be federally illegal, we are not allowed to access the federal banking system, and therefore firms like you know, you know, to your your typical clearing, you know, money money clearing firms uh, like Visa, Mastercard, you know, any of the any of the credit card companies, etc are unable to process payments for the cannabis industry. So, yeah, 100% we did, as an example, Grassroots did $90 million of business last year. And, you know, 100% of that is cash. Um, and that cash has to be deposited in state chartered banks, which we would argue is a, uh, you know, is, is not only cumbersome to us, but it's really a, um, it's really a problem because as these as these businesses grow, do you really want um, you know security companies moving around that much cash outside the federal reserve system i mean you know any any normal business any normal ninety million dollar business would have a local bank that provided cash management and you know if you had if you had operations in various states they'd provide a sweep account for you they'd probably provide you a revolver you know, all that you know all, all your all your typical banking services were blocked out from. 100% of that, um, and and cannot use um, you know Visa or, or, or any of the credit cards. Um, there is a um, there is legislation that was proposed last fall in the House of Representatives. It passed with 93 Republican votes, um, including Kevin McCarthy and other you know other others within the Republican leadership, um, called the Safe Act. Don't ask me to, remind, to, to remember what SAFE stands for, but it's the Safe Act. Basically, a cannabis banking bill, which allows uh, cannabis companies access to federal federal banking as long as they are operating within the uh, guidelines of the state mandated program. And it would free up Visa and Mastercard to start processing payments for us. It would free us up to get a loan from a local bank or a bank that you know is under the federal you know, under, under the Fed charter, um, you know, that would be absolutely, you know, who, who's, who's on the other side of that? I mean, I, I, I can't even figure out who would lobby against that. I mean, because it's not, it's, not, it's not legalizing cannabis. It's just saying, I don't want guys driving around in vans full of $100 bills with, with rubber bands around it, right? I mean, like, how can that be productive? How can that be good? Um, so, um, yeah, so that, the SAFE Act would be very important. Notably, it has been inserted into the bill that they're trying to approve by Wednesday of this week, and so we may, the cannabis industry may, be a beneficiary of um, what's happening in the uh, second round bill because uh, certain of the House members uh, want the um, Senate to um, step up and approve that as part of uh, as, as part of the deal to get that done. So who knows? It may be lost. In the final negotiation but right now it's supposedly in there which has created a little bit of excitement within the industry um
1: so the bigger so the, the, issue the the, the the congress passed it but the senate is uh, blocking it is that right yeah congress congress said 93 republican votes andy which
2: you know you know how hard that is on anything right uh, yeah right sure i mean they, they had yeah well they had two you know they had they had whatever they you know whatever they had 280 or whatever the democrats but they had 93 republicans they had the republican leadership so Senator McConnell to, just won't bring it to the floor. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. So, And, and look, the reason, the reason why the farm bill was approved, because that really opened up hemp, um, at least the growing of hemp. Now, think about where he's from. He's from Kentucky. A lot that's of right. tobacco uh, land that has been repurposed or needs to be repurposed. And he thought and was lobbied that uh, hemp could fill that void. So he got behind the farm bill. He uh, really hasn't had much interest so far in the SAFE Act, although we keep hearing rumors that, as an example, uh, Cory Gardner, who is an advocate, um, is maybe in a rough race or or was thought to be in a rough race in Colorado, and this would give him a win for an industry that's very important for his state. So uh, there was some thinking that politics may get involved, which would be very... Bill. Great by me. I don't really care how it gets done. It just seems idiotic that, that it hasn't been because it's such an easy fix and I think it helps everybody. Um, the other piece of it that we'd really want in the safe bill is the ability to to, to list on U.S. exchanges. I mean, the problem, the, the biggest problem we have is not, not moving cash around. The biggest problem is we can't raise capital in, in the United States legally. We have to raise mm-hmm. capital in Canada and Believe me, I mean, you know, and it, which which is what has created such a mess as to how all these things trade because everybody flew up to Canada or you know or or, or started buying stocks up in Canada because they, of all the excitement around cannabis and uh, it turned out that you know that wasn't what they what they hoped it was and the better companies are located in the U.S. and we don't have access so it's been it's you know it's 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 a mess it's you know it's sort of like being in a sword fight with, uh, you know, one or both arms tied behind your back. Hey, well, Brian, I got, uh,
0: Andy, you get, I got a oh, question. Yeah, no, cool. Okay. Can okay. I interrupt? The thing? And this one may be a tough one for you being on the, uh, on the executive team over there. we just, you know, I, we doubt, you know, Andy and I are traders who invest in traders our whole lives. And I, uh, I said earlier for the full disclosure, I own some Cresco lab stock and uh, some true Leaf. And I don't know. I, I thought you guys were being bought up by uh True leaf. And then green thumb seems to be someone in that big four leadership kind of uh space. And and I, am like I said, you've forgotten more than I know about this space and I've just researched mm-hmm. and I have sent to me from other traders or investors and, our theory and my theory is kind of I want to play downstream, uh, maybe someone that has some production skin in the game. rather than upstream. I think upstream eventually gets commoditized to some capacity. And uh, just really? then downstream more uh, people that can maybe own that front line or own that retail space with some footprint in the production side. I mean, am I thinking about that right or am I not? I mean, what are your just opinions, I guess, overall?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you so so um on your first point, so you yeah. mentioned uh, you mentioned Cresco, you mentioned uh Truly and uh, I think you meant, I don't know if you mentioned GTI or not, but those are those are probably okay. the four the four uh, stocks that are probably investable. What I mean invest what do I mean by investable? Well, you know, even though there's still you know CSC listed stocks, Canadian Stock Exchange listed stocks, they do have a U.S. Uh, over-the-counter yeah. ticker, and they're big enough to have, you know, some liquidity, not, not great liquidity, um, but, uh, but they're real companies. They have, you know, major operations across multiple states. They're all in the process of inflecting to free cash flow positive or already have inflected to free cash flow positive. You know, like a lot of other, you know, early-stage disruptive industries, a lot of these businesses traded off with of multiples of revenue or multiples of uh, licenses or other, you know, bullshit uh, valuation methodologies, you know, as you and I and Andy and, you know, hopefully everybody knows in the end, you know, gravity wins and it all comes down to EBITDA and free cash flow and, you know, multiples of earnings. So, you know, I think these companies are all, you know, going to going be at the final table and, and, and they'll be successful in the end. Um with um with respect to um second piece of your question was was what? I can't remember now. Downstream. Should we be upstream? You know, oh, some yeah, people downstream yeah, yeah, no, upstream no, or downstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, we uh we could not agree with you anymore that um the uh cultivation side of it will be commoditized. And you know, we sort of think of it a little bit along the same lines as the wine industry. You know, you go to the you go to the to the you know to uh um wine wine country in california uh, a lot of if not most of the really great vineyards don't grow their own wine don't don't grow their own grapes they have some kind of segmented part of somebody else's vineyard where they're a good grape grower and you know they're and they're a good vendor it's you know there's there's just a separation there and um you know we think that'll likely happen we th- we could also foresee where somebody wants to kind of aggregate and be a big player across multiple states, you know, and, you know, with uh, bringing some economies of scale as to how they do their production methods and some other things. Um, either way, in the end, we all know that commodities uh, are uh, tough, tough businesses to be in. So, yeah, we, we think you want to own the last mile uh, with respect to delivery to the, to the customer. Um, and uh, we think in a lot of these states... They will allow um, home home delivery eventually. There are a few states that do that now. Um, in a in a rec uh, context, uh, one of our states, Maryland, allows um, home delivery for medical patients, but only if they're proven to be in or, or they don't have the ability to um, go to the store on their own. So it's a pretty minor piece of a piece of the puzzle, but um, but yeah, we think that. Um, being vertically integrated, where you control your supply chain, right now w- when it's critical because supply really is tight in all of the um, in all the all, all of the licensed states. But eventually, downplaying the cultivation, and uh, eventually brands. You know, everyone talks about brands in uh, cannabis space. The problem with brands is that it's very difficult to build a brand across multiple states. A lot of uh, hotshot brands in in uh, um, California that um, have tried to get to uh, have tried to kind of migrate east. The problem is that um, you know you may be a hotshot brand in Southern California. Uh, you know somebody somebody on the street of Illinois is sort of like I, I never heard of that brand and I don't give a shit. And it, it's very hard to advertise because you're federally illegal. Uh, you can't you, you can't put ads on Google. You can't put ads uh, in media. Uh, you can't put ads on the radio. It's not like you can, you know, educate the consumer as to what your brand is. So, um, you know, the uh, I, I think that will change over time. I think you'll see brands and distribution and um, you know retail slash dispensaries will be the part of the value chain that you want to be in. The the one thing I would highlight, which is really interesting about this industry right now, is that after prohibition, they uh, for for a while, you know, Schlitz could brew the beer and they could also own the bars, right? Which is why when you drive around Chicago, there's some the old bar, you know, the old Schlitz bars with the you know the half, you know, the half globe, you know, in the uh, in the brickwork. Um, That was outlawed not too long after prohibition. In cannabis, we can we can grow the hops and barley. We can make the beer and we own the bars. Um, so, wow. you know, and at some point that could, um, be disrupted. You know, I could see a, an evolution down the road. You know, hopefully after I've cashed out where, um, they put a, a distribution chain in it, you know, like they, like they have for alcohol. But right now,
1: exactly.
0: you know,
2: being there's a, it, it's very powerful being, uh, in, uh vertically integrated. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. That's about, very uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You, know, you thought like about that. a lot of those things, radio and uh, and, and advertising and and uh, you know carrying a brand across the state line and all these kinds of things make it tough. And so if we when you look at the price, the value, uh, current value of a lot of these stocks. I mean, I would think first of all, in Canada, you're not getting multiples like you would on the Nasdaq or on the New York Exchange, for one. And then, are all these safe kind of uh, um, uh, barriers, um, you know, being able to communicate FCC um, barriers, uh, FTC, FAA, or F- <laughs> yeah, FAA? Yeah, Um are, are they holding? Are they holding? Are, are they holding the valuations down? Because I mean, in the last year, you look at 52-week highs on uh, many of these stocks. I mean, they're downhill. They're down 60, 70 percent. Yeah, what, no, that's why right. and what's that's right. Well, look,
2: look. well, so so what happened, Andy? Um, so first of all, you had an uh, you, had, you had an overhyped you had an overhyped uh, industry in Canada. So at, at, at one point last year, this is how bad it got. The top five. Canadian market cap companies, top five only the top five. There were probably, you know, a hundred of them that traded, but only the top five market cap would have been fifty billion dollars. Top five, top five companies in all of Can- in all of Canada last year they sold roughly a billion dollars of cannabis. So the top five traded for fifty x multiple of what the entire country sold in that year in cannabis. Okay. I mean, it was a screaming short and shame on me for not, you know, being a bit more active on it, but honestly, these guys, you know, guys who shortened canopy growth at 40, you know, had to watch it go to 60 before it came back to 20. So, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, shorting Tesla, you know, it, it, you know, it, you're, you're fighting against some people that are committed on the other side of the trade. Um, so, and it, it, it's not necessarily a very deep market as far as getting borrow on some of these companies. So, um, it was kind of tough to really affect that trade in size. Now, uh, the, the problem specifically with the US guys um, is that um, they, they, they went public via what they call a re- re- reverse takeover. So, basically, they found a shell on the Canadian Stock Exchange, they merged into the shell and um became public through uh through a reverse takeover and that was the uh the method of choice for a company for for really all all the big guys gti truly Cresco truly they all they' all went that route harvest et cetera and um when it, when when you do that, you don't have to file anything that looks remotely like an s one or a a full compliance document under the SEC rules in, in the u s and therefore if it's a merger, you can put anything you want in the merger agreement. So in the merger agreement, they would just basically put together a flip deck, would show a hockey stick projection with no uh, accounting for the amount of capital or potential you know, that, that needed to be spent to build out the assets to get to those kind of revenue levels, what kind of dilution that might create, uh, or the time delays because of all the regulatory issues. And so – it really, they all they all just got re- re-rated when people figured out that, oh my God, you know, like they've got to raise a hundred million dollars to, to you know to 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 build out their platform, and even when it's built out, you know, they're not going to do five hundred million in revenue. They're going to do three hundred million in revenue, and so you know all these things came back down to earth, and you know, lo and behold, people are actually running EBITDA multiples up in 2021, 2022, as you know, as soon EBITDA now. Which you know at least we're in, in the right ballpark before we were you know out in the street somewhere out at, out at Waveland and Sheffield you know nowhere we we weren't, weren't in the ballpark as to how to value these companies so yeah it's been a, it's been an implosion it's been pretty ugly for, uh, for uh, you know active investors across the space. but I think we're at a place now where people you know are focused on the right things and I think you'll
1: see a lot more discipline from here. Perfect, Brian. And so, do you look for uh, what? What do you see the direction of uh, overall the, the the generic direction of, of the um, valuation uh, market going here for for the cannabis space?
2: Well, I, I mean, I do think that um, anything that happens on the federal side is going to be, uh, is, you know, will be a positive catalyst, right? so the way the way I tend to look at it you know is is uh you know what could happen that could be negative, and what could happen that would be a positive catalyst um, on the negative side, obviously you know we could have um some kind of you know trump trump wins, he brings in a new attorney general who is you know viciously against cannabis and and does everything he can to be a pain in the ass. Not unlike uh, his, his prior attorney general, right? Um, so that's that's one scenario. Okay, that's you know. But but if you look at sort of the other side of it, if you believe that of the states of Arizona, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Connecticut, that maybe one or two of those convert to adult use in the next twelve months, and maybe even. More than those over the next 12 to 18 months, maybe more like three to four of those states. That that's going to be that's, the, 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 those will be major catalysts. Right now, the largest, um, you know, largest, um, you know, sort of medical state, you know, sort of what I'll call east of the Mississippi state that's adopted cannabis uh, has been Illinois, right? And you know, it's 12.8 million people. You know, if you throw New York into that mix, and New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. You know, now you've got a big block of, um, of you know, of, of, of potential revenue. I mean, the state of Illinois last year um, did about $400 million uh, of, of cannabis revenues. This year, its first year of adult use, the projection is closer to $900 million. Now, you know, I mean... Why only nine hundred million? It's because there's not enough supply. They, they 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 you know rolled this out very quickly. And you know, if you went to a dispensary in the state of Illinois, you know, right now inventory is being preserved for medical patients. And as a recreational user or, or adult use buyer, there's very little product available for you. Um, that'll rectify itself. Everyone's you know scurrying to, to build more capacity in the state of Illinois. Ultimately, we believe it's more like a two billion to two point five billion dollar industry in the state of Illinois. Take a look at what that would mean in New Jersey, you know, Pennsylvania, some of those states. Um, you know, where uh, clearly Cuomo wanted it on the agenda and was upset that COVID got in the way this year, but it, it, it'll 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 be back on his agenda for for sure. Um, so I think you know, if, as I look at um, you know, sort of where things go from here. I think anything like the Safe Act passing would be a positive catalyst. Uh, and you know, a couple of the individual bigger states uh, that would be a big catalyst. Ultimately, the huge catalyst would be allowing public listings of uh, of U.S. companies in the U.S. You know, and on U.S. exchanges. That would be a game changer because now private equity would get involved. Um, and imagine the size of the war chests uh, of private equity players who have not touched this industry because they can't right now who, you know, ultimately will get involved in rolling up some of these companies and building bigger platforms. And, um, you know, that's the, that's been the missing man in the room, you know, the, the sort of the availability of capital to actually, you know, build, build out some of these platforms. Um, so, I, you know, those are the kind of positive catalysts I see. I also think that, you know, back to my, you know, very early comments about the disruption of the product. I mean, you know, there's more and more research going on every day if somebody comes up with some clinical trials, double-blind trials that show that you know, CBN, CBG, uh, THCV, you know, some of these other derivatives of the plant have efficacy for some of these things that I that I spoke about, I mean, you know, that's that's going to be an important catalyst. Um, so I, I, I look at you know, there's there's kind of one clear negative potential catalyst. I think there's a variety of potential positive catalysts. So I I remain bullish you know, even though I'm battered and bruised a little bit on a, on a few of my investments, um, I, I remain bullish from here, um, because, um, you know, I think, you know, when, uh, everybody throws, throws, uh, the whole industry in that, in the, uh, in the, in the junk pile, that's, that's the right time to dig through and, and look for the companies that are going to survive and
1: make it. Wow. Well, Brian, I, I, uh, I've learned an awful lot today. I don't know about you, Kevin, but, uh, I sure feel like I'm, uh, I'm educated and uh, have really walked away with a much different perspective of the whole space than I had before, and uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm not sure, Kevin. Did you have anything else you wanted to add or uh, issues you wanted to? No,
0: with? I think. No, I think Brian did a hell of a job. Uh, like I said, hit uh,
1: some of the big marks, and
0: I think will really, uh, you know, help some of our listeners and some of the people in the ag space kind of. As they compare and make the references to uh, the hemp of the CBD, and I just thought there was a lot of, uh, like you said, a lot of interesting dynamics uh, that are going to shake out and, and take place as this evolves. And I think he, he laid a, a good groundwork for us to pay attention and where we may be able to fit in in some of those and, uh, and some investment opportunities to look at moving forward. So I appreciate it, Brian, certainly.
2: Yeah, look it's it's gonna be an interesting uh two or three years. Um I think, you know, even even even, even in a Trump scenario, I think the uh I think the um uh, the the groundwork has been laid, you know, getting people like Kevin McCarthy behind, the Safe Act, that was a that was a seminal moment. I mean that's 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 important. So yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, I think we're going the right direction on some of these things, so um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully I can come on in a year or two and uh, tell you about, uh, you know, all the good stuff going on. we well, yeah. look forward sure. to that.
1: And I'd also like at some point maybe to get you back on, uh, you know, I know your your background uh, prior to all this was uh, focused on a lot of uh, credit markets and, and distressed and special situation type investing. And, boy, when I look around at uh, the world today, I think we're going to see a, a resurgence of that toll space come back to be. And, uh, Love to pick your brain sometime on that subject as well. So, uh, Brian, thank you very much. Appreciate your uh, your spending time with us, and uh, I guess that's about it from this end. Yeah, right. thank
2: you. Anytime, guys, and uh, keep up the good work.